said uh, regarding spiritual immaturity of the believers in, in the Corinthian church. And we just want to have a look at that. Okay? 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 Follow the cursor. Oh, there we go. So this is what uh, Paul had to say to them last week out of uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Brothers, sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Okay, well last week we saw that Paul used certain words to describe the spiritual immaturity of the Corinthian Christians. He used words like worldly and mere infants, little toddlers as it were, spiritually to describe their spiritual condition. That's how he saw them and it wasn't just how he saw them, it was evident through their conduct, through their behaviour. Remember I said last week, it wasn't so much that spiritual maturity doesn't depend on your theological standing or even how, how well you know the Bible or how many good theological books you read. Here, Paul is talking about spiritual maturity and that spiritual maturity is seen in the way that we live our lives for Christ. How we reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you would hope and believe that through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our lives that we would be changing more and more. Growing up spiritually. And so he used all those kinds of words like worldly, mere infants, childish, just to describe their spiritual condition. And I use that little phrase, substandard Christians, uh, to describe them, meaning unsatisfactory, second rate, below par, inadequate. How would you like to be called that? as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure that that would almost feel like someone was tearing your heart out. So in the passage we looked at, Paul drew our attention to three contrasting groups of people. And Paul, uh, the first he described as the natural person. And a natural person sees spiritual things, 
sees um, matters regarding the cross and the gospel as absolute meaningless. They're total foolish to them. And that's why uh, I was saying that when we sit and we talk with our friends or our work colleagues, they just don't get it. And we should not be surprised that they just don't get it. Because the whole thought about Christ dying on a cross, being raised from the dead and coming again and can actually change your life is just so foolish, so beyond them to comprehend And remember, that's what we're saying. That's why we need a revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals spiritual things to us. And so he describes them as having the spirit of the world. We have not received, uh, what we have received is not the spirit of the world. But the natural person has this spirit of the world within them. So they cannot see. And that passage, of course, in Second um, Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul is speaking about the work of the God of this age, Satan, to blind the minds of those who are perishing so they cannot see the person of God in Christ, in the glory of Christ. They just can't see him. They can't comprehend. The enemy has blinded their minds. And this is what happens, of course, in the world. And that's what gets us a little frustrated when you're talking with a friend or a work colleague or whoever it might be, and they just don't get it. And that's what you say. They just don't get it. Well, don't judge them too harshly. Of course they're not going to get it. And it would be helpful as well to understand, or I guess uh, put another way, in praying for them, we should pray, Lord, remove that veil off of their minds that they may see you in the person of Jesus. The enemy is blinding their minds and let's just ask God to give them sight, revelation to see him. So there Paul speaks of them as having received the spirit of the world and the second of course is the spiritual person. These folks believe the message of the cross and they're saved. And that probably describes every one of us here this morning. We are those who have received God's Spirit. We have received the Spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit. And so through the Holy Spirit, we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. And so we rejoice knowing of our salvation. We know this morning that we stand in the righteousness of Christ. We know this morning that we are a holy people. We know this morning that we have been redeemed. How do we know that? It's 
through the Holy Spirit and we know the wonderful things that God has given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we worship with all of our hearts. That's why we sing, Lord, we want to lift your name up on high. We just love to praise you because you came to earth, you saved us, you were raised from the dead and you're coming back and we're going to be with you forever. We know, we see the wonderful things that God has for us. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. And the third person, and this was the main thrust of my message, was, was, there we go, saved, but still are living a consistent worldly lifestyle rather than living in the control and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that word consistent, I put deliberately in there because you and I know that there are those occasions, come on, those occasions when we are not living under the control and power of the Holy Spirit and we choose the flesh over what the Spirit desires. Amen? Isn't that right? Man, I know that. Uh, You want to talk about just a simple little illustration like road rage. I got the Holy Spirit sitting next to me in the car and I'm looking in the rear vision mirror and I'm saying to myself, if that person doesn't get out of my boot, I'm going to do really something here. And they just getting closer and closer. And you know what I do? And the Holy Spirit, don't do that, don't do that. I put my foot on the brake and then I look in the rear vision mirror and the person goes, ah, like this. And then they go, So I look in my rear vision mirror and go, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, that's good. (laughs) Whose control am I under at that point? Certainly not the Spirit who's sitting alongside of me saying, hey, hey. So we slip into those, but we're not consistently living a worldly lifestyle. And that is this third category of persons that Paul is addressing and that we spoke about last week. They're Christians, they're saved, but living consistently in the world. Do you know of such a dear brother and sister? I do. I do. Do you? Absolutely. Well, I don't know about yourself. But a a, a brother or a sister who is saved and yet consistently lives in the world and you're actually wondering whether or not they're saved or not because of their lifestyle and how they've just drifted away from the Lord and tended to go their own way and do their own thing. Surely you know someone like that. Because I do, sadly. And I don't judge them, but my heart grieves and is sad for them. And I want you to see this is what's uh, behind Paul's words as well. 
It's a grief. It's a sadness. It's not just a frustration. It's a sadness that's in there. So we ended up our time together last week by saying that within each of us, a conflict rages, amen to that, between what our sinful desires want and what the Holy Spirit desires. God wants us to live as our spiritual nature directs. And we can only consistently do that as we overcome those kinds of sinful desires and we can only do that through the help of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said these words out of Galatians, different translation but you'll recognise that live your life as your spiritual nature directs you. Then you will never follow through on what your corrupt nature wants. Brothers and sisters, we have the spiritual nature. The Word of God encourages to live accordingly to that spiritual nature. Consistently to live as the Holy Spirit directs. If we live by our spiritual nature then our lives need to conform to our spiritual nature. So there's an outworking of that in what we say, in what we do, the attitudes of our hearts, what motivates us. That's the outworking and the outworking of all of that is to really um, see Christ exalted and lifted up in our lives. And what one Christian here this morning doesn't want that? Of course we do. More than anything else, that Christ would be glorified in my life, in your life. Okay, this morning I want to look at leadership in the church because it follows on nicely from what Paul was saying. And so we pick it up at verse 5. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servant through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it but it was God who made it grow. Significant verse. It is not important, verse 6 that is, it is not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we, Paul and Apollos, are both God's workers and you are God's field, you 
are God's building. Who are you this morning, church? Yeah, you're his field. You're his building. And God is at work in his field. Don't ever doubt that God is not at work in BBC. Regardless of whatever happens in the life of this church, you're his field. You're his field and he's out there working amongst us, bringing about his best purposes and plans for us. And you're his building. He's building this one, Ephesians tells us, this this temple, this temple brick by brick. And you're a brick. I know you're thick. (laughs) You're not really. No, you're not at all. You're a brick. Living stone, Peter says, being fitted together. Every one of you slotting in nicely. Although the Lord has to do some work with me. He's got this chisel and hammer and he's knocking off bits and pieces so that I can fit nicely. And is he doing that with you? Mm. <laughs> of course he is. And he's building this temple, Ephesians says, in which who lives? The Holy Spirit. Blow your head off. We are the temple, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, of the Holy Spirit. He's building, still building. He's the builder. Still building this temple. More stones are getting put into the building. Wonderful temple of God in which the Spirit of God dwells. Is it any wonder that God says, if anyone seeks to destroy this temple, you'll have to face off with God? It's his work. So, this passage this morning, this short passage of scripture is about how we should think and feel about a situation in the church where two leaders, Paul and Apollos, have become a flashpoint for argument and division and pride. We've been there. I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos, after all, in that um, passage. Apollos is a waterer. In other words, Apollos is a great teacher. You know, he waters. You know, Paul has planted the seed in the, of the gospel and his Apollos, he's watering it. And, and, and you're sitting under Apollos' teaching and you're going, man, alive. I'm, I, I understand it all. My goodness, what a wonderful man this Apollos is. And so there's been a flashpoint between those who follow Paul or look to Paul and those who look to Apollos. That was the case in Corinth, but praise God, it's certainly not the case at BBC. 
So for us this morning, the purpose of my message isn't about addressing a problem of division of two leaders, of division that was brought about by people over two leaders. Rather, my aim this morning is to strike a preemptive blow that in the likelihood any such problem might arise here in BBC, you will know how God wants you to behave. Okay? This is a preemptive blow. So what can we learn, but particularly, and I'll just miss this part, let me say just this one last thing before I continue. I believe that if we take hold of, if you take hold of this word, that it will deliver to this church, to us here, a wonderful, peaceful, exciting, God-exalting season as you look for God to provide a new pastor. Okay? So this sermon is a little bit based around that. What can we learn about God and about leadership in the church which will result in God getting the glory rather than any one person? Well, let's begin just quickly. Um, Paul says or asks, after all, who is Apollos and who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. In other words, change the way you think about your favourite teacher or leader. After all, who is Paul and Apollos? They are servants and the word servant here used means table waiters. It's a little bit like Stephen in Acts chapter 7 or whatever it is, 6. You know, man full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom and of love and all, all those kinds. But what was he doing? He was waiting on tables. He was a servant. This wonderful man who was soon to be martyred for his faith and his outspokenness um, was a servant. And Paul's saying here, um, they are servants. In other words, table waiters or errand runners. Dare I say, gophers. Excuse me, Apollos, can you go and get me a Big Mac and some large fries, please? Paul, the Apostle, Paul, could you just drink a water? Thank you, I'm a little bit thirsty up here. Paul is calling himself and Apollos errand runners, just servants. Is Paul diminishing uh, his or Apollos' call and ministries? No, he's simply directing their thinking towards a proper perspective of spiritual leadership in the church. Spiritual leadership. Oh man, let me tell you, we've got some great 
leaders in the church and we praise God for the men of vision, men of goal setting and objective running and, and, and full of all kinds of energies and ideas and plans and purposes and strategies. If that is combined with a strong spiritual leadership, praise God. But if it's if there's less of the spiritual leadership, less of the spiritual, then you could end up with problems. Because what you might end up is with an egomaniac to lead you who just wants to get his agenda fulfilled. You need strong spiritual Men and women of God, spiritual. Doesn't matter how much they know of this and if they can recite the whole thing in Greek. It doesn't matter. God is looking for Christ in us. Does that make sense? Of course it does. I'm sorry guys, I get a bit passionate at times about these kinds of things. Someone said, um, please don't say sorry so much. Um, I'm not making an apology as such. I, I just am passionate for us to understand these kinds of things. Why? That we might grow spiritually. That we might reflect the very person of the Lord Jesus whom we love so dearly. That's what gets me going. And so Paul and Apollos are table waiters. They're not on a guest. They're not seated at the head of the table. They're not even the chefs. They wait on tables and they run errands. Well, so Paul's just telling them to rearrange their thinking and to be careful not to put either he or Apollos or or Bob Dennis or Brad Blacker or Graham Hoare or Bennett Brown or whoever comes after us, don't ever, ever dare put them in a place where they're lifted above the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you this, it is God who is at work within you to work and to fashion and to do his will and to change you and I into the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ, from one likeness to another likeness. We cannot put pastors and leaders into that wrong place. And Paul says, through whom? Servants through whom you believe. And two words caught my eye, through whom. That means the power that brought them to faith does not, did not reside in Paul and Apollos. 
it flowed through them. They were the conduit through whom the life-giving, life-changing message of the gospel flowed through to the Corinthians. It's a little like how copper water pipes deliver water to every tap. It's a bit crude, this illustration, I'm sorry, but nevertheless, it, you know, hopefully it, it helps. It's like how copper piping in our home delivers water to every tap in our house. But it's what comes out of the tap that brings us life and refreshment. So Paul's saying, Apollos and I are just conduits through which the gospel came to you. I planted, Apollos watered. So that's, I guess, the uh, point. They did not save the Corinthians. They uh, are not the Holy Spirit. God is the one, the life-giving source of their own lives. So that means the faith that grew in people when these two men preached and they taught the word and in their spiritual giftedness did not come from them. It came from God. They were only servants who were called and gifted by God to do his will and to do his work as he assigned them to do. I want to tell you, if, if um, you know, if, if if that's the way we think, and if that's the way pastors would think, they would be a lot happier. Because pastors sometimes can get caught up in the temptation. They can be everything to everyone and they can be the bee's knees to the church. When truly, it is God who has assigned us it is God who has gifted us and God says now is the time to go and there is, and, and to come and now is the time to go. It's all of God and we need to see that and understand of it and the same for us as individuals. It is God in us. I just want to just lift up the person of our God and Father here this morning. He's the source of everything in our lives. He and he alone is the giver of everything that has come into our lives. And so God assigns the response. So we see that Paul and Apollos are God's servants through whom you believe the good good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. In other words, Paul and Apollos may be different in their personalities, in their temperaments, in their leadership styles, in their giftedness, but it is God who gave the Corinthians the faith to respond. When you were converted, if you were converted at a big crusade or whoever, it might have been a friend who shared the gospel, did you respond to them? I don't think so. If you did, I would check out your salvation a bit. You responded to Christ. 
you responded to him. The person is the one that God used to bring the message to you. And so your faith doesn't rest in them, it rests in God. I know I'm, I'm really stressing this and uh, please be patient with me. I'd appreciate that. Now, they may have come to faith through Paul or through Apollos, but God gave them the faith. God was the originator of that response. And so Paul is really just saying, don't ever think that either Apollos or I are the source of your faith and of your growth of your faith. The, device, the, the, sorry, the decisive cause of your faith is God. And so he says, okay, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And so God made the seed grow. And this makes the same point of what I've been saying, only in a different way, of course. God is central. God is foremost, not man. It was God who gave you faith to respond to his word and it was God, not man, no matter how gifted and how wonderful that person may have been, they were simply planters or waterers and it is God alone that gives the growth. God alone that gives the growth. The prominence and the supremacy falls on God, not man. You know, God has been supreme in this church for how many years, church? 125 years. 125 years, God has been in supremacy and prominence in this church. God is supreme in the planting and the watering. He just brings planters and waterers and encourages and, you know, someone to dig the soil up a little bit. And, and that's what He does but it is him. So your faith, even as you begin to think about a new pastor for, for this church, you, you must be so filled with faith and trust, knowing that for 125 years, God has been absolutely wonderfully faithful in bringing the right person at the right time and sending the person off at the right time as well. Here God is prominent in this church. Not any one person, nor even the group and the whole big church. It is God. And perhaps that's why the media get all upset with Hillsong because they see the masses and they think it's one man, Brian Houston. But I'm sure if you sat and you talked to Brian Houston and, and the hundred plus are on his pastoral team, they would say the same thing, it is God. How can one man build this? It's God. 
And we go to Hillsong and we stand and worship and what do we say? All hail Brian Houston? No, we say, oh God, we worship you. You're amazing, you're wonderful. And it's the same here, of course, as well. We worship the Lord. He is prominent in all things. And so he's the one that will cause growth and see this church grow numerically. Oh, if it's his will and purpose and you'd love to see that, more planting, more watering, more coming into God's family. But there's a, there's a growth spiritually that God wants to impart and bring into the hearts of us all here in this church. Are you up for that? Of course you are. Absolutely. So, they are nothing. My goodness gracious. It is important. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important, Paul says, it is God that makes the seed grow. So how, how amazing is, is that? Paul and Apollos are nothing. It's amazing because Paul mentions Ephroditus, a leader in the Philippian church in Philippians 2.29 and says, honour such men. And in his first letter to the Thessalonians, he tells them to esteem or honour, esteem your leaders in the Lord your elders, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So the nothingness that Paul and Apollos, uh, that, that Paul is saying, is not a nothingness that makes them less honourable. Okay? In fact, they are more honourable as they decrease and God increases. And there you see a principle of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. And God honours that kind of submission and humility under his hand. It is God who promotes you don't have to promote yourself. You've just got to be faithful in the little things and God will give you the bigger things to do. He'll promote you. And so, um, you know, it's a principle of, the king, of kingdom living that as we humble ourselves under God's hand and submit to him, then it seems that honour comes. Okay, so let's just finish here now. A means of oneness and agreement. Paul goes on to say, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And if there is one standout feature that both elder pastors and elders in this church share, 
It's the compelling desire to build your faith and to persuade you to make a great deal of God and of Christ in your life. Make it a big deal, not as an appendage. Make God and Jesus a big deal in your life. And that is really what he's saying here. That we would be in Christ one in our dependence on him, one in our love for him, and that we would be one in the message that we proclaim, that we preach, that Christ crucified, raised from the dead, the author and giver of life, and soon the returning king. So, Paul says in verse 9, for we are both God's workers, you are God's field, you are God's building, you belong to God. You don't belong to Paul. You don't belong to Apollos. And in our context, you don't belong to any pastor. Okay? You don't belong to any pastor. Because I'm here at the moment, you don't belong to me and you don't belong to anyone who follows after me. You belong to God. You are God's field. You are God's building. And BBC doesn't belong to any person. She belongs to God. So, you belong to God because you belong to Christ. And what is the breathtaking implication of belonging to God, and this is the last slide here. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. Otherwise, you're going to be terribly disappointed. <laughs> For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future. In your heart now, just read those last few words. Got to put a smile on your face. (laughs) Everything, everything belongs to you. And you, You belong to Christ. Just tell yourself that right now. Okay? I belong to Jesus. No one's ever going to snatch me out of his hand. I belong to him. And Christ belongs to God. Gracious Father, thank you for your presence and your being with us as we looked at this word 
And uh, we just want to thank you, Father, for the work of your grace and of your Holy Spirit in this church over decades, Father. You have been faithful. You planted this church. And I don't know who was the first person or the first little congregation that ever met in this church. But this morning, we thank you for them. We thank you that they were obedient to you and had faith enough to trust you. And Lord, uh, we thank you that you're the one who has been prominent. You're the one who has watered this church through your spirit and through your word and through many servants over many years. And so we are filled with great confidence and faith with regards to the future because we know it's in your hands and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Bless you, church. Um, there will be an opportunity for prayer.